Good morning, Eastside Church family and friends. So glad you're joining us this beautiful Sunday morning, this brisk Sunday morning. Uh, this morning we're going to continue in a series and uh, wanted to talk a little bit more about this um, uh, this idea of, uh, of, of moving in the Spirit and making sure that we understand that that our, our behavior and our consequences have results and that, you know, that, um, that it matters what we do. So uh, as, we, as we continue, I titled this week's message, Should Life Be a Struggle? You know, I'm asking the question, I'm struggling, should the Christian life be, be a struggle? So I got good news this morning and I got bad news. The first, the first I'll give you the good news first. Paul says he struggled. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, 29, uh, chapter 1, verse 29, it says, For this I told, struggling with all Christ's energy or the Holy Spirit's energy that he powerfully works within me. There's this, there's this struggle, not only in his own life, to make sure that he is he's pursuing the Spirit and he's doing the will and the work of the Holy Spirit, but also interceding for the for the church struggling for others praying for others intercession intercession going out for others i'm reminded that i was reminded of the story of jesus this week where where he asked he asked peter uh he he, he says in matthew he says he said peter satan has asked to sift you like wheat but i, I prayed for you and when you return to me you know, feed my sheep. What's interesting about that passage of Scripture is that, first of all, Jesus Jesus knew and Jesus interceded. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus is always at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. He, he's praying for you and I, and that, and that is that we'll come through the trouble that we see and the things that we face as we live the life uh, as we are uh, in obedience to him. And so Jesus is doing that. But I think what's really interesting, too, that we see in that, in that particular exchange is that, is that the devil prays, too. You know, the devil was having conversation with God, asking to sift Peter like wheat. And then, of course, the answer was, yes, but. Jesus' prayer was that Peter's soul would prosper, and it did. He returned to the Lord, and when he did, that, that, that pruning, that sifting, the, that troubled time prepared Peter to do the work of the ministry. You know, what we, what we want and what is being taught in the Christian church today is, is that, you know, there's this easy believism that is just, you know, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be good. And it does work out for good, but there's trouble. There's sifting. There's pruning. There's pain. But there's joy that comes at the end because as we follow Christ, he works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we know that if we stay the course, if we, if we struggle like Paul struggled with all of our energy, that was given to us by the Holy Spirit, then we're going to come out the other side and, and, and God's going to work good through us and through the situation that we find ourselves in. So 
Paul's struggling. He's struggling, and he's struggling with this idea. He's struggling to follow the Holy Spirit. He's, he's struggling to do the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, making sure he, he stays on track. What you have to understand about Paul is that he, he says about himself, and he says it's kind of weird to even be talking about this in modern-day terms, but he says, he says, I'm the most qualified of anybody you know. If anybody should have confidence in what they've attained, what they've accomplished, it should be me. As, as far as hermeneutics, as far as apologetics, as, as far as uh, every eschatology, as far as every, every thought process of, of the theology of God, the thinking about God, he was the one who was the most advanced in his study. And he said about himself, even though I'm the most qualified, I count it all rubbish except for the idea that I can submit myself to the, to the work of the cross and the promise of God and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So this thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I press toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, which is impossible to do based on my own training, based on what I know, based on what I've been taught. It has total dependency on the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why he says to the Galatian church in chapter 3, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Why do you think you started in the Spirit and you can finish in the flesh? In other words, how do you think you can depend on the Holy Spirit and move in the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place of healing? How do you feel like you can keep going in your own strength, in your own power, based on your own education, based on your own knowledge? And the answer is you can't. He said about himself, he said, he, he said as he taught the church, he said, I didn't come with you with persuasive words. I came in the power of the Holy Spirit. I came with power. And so there's this, this struggle within Paul to walk in grace, to walk in obedience. One of the things I, I, I just looked up, just, just, just a thought, and, and I love the idea, and you can't, discount the works of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus and, and, and you want to be there. But there's so much focus on the miraculous. And when I mean the miraculous, what I mean is blind eyes being open, people being healed from sicknesses, you know, people, people crippled walking, you know, those types of miracles that are in the Bible. But Paul very rarely even, even it's not even hardly mentioned about him that kind of miraculous. The miraculous was this walking in the Spirit, this, this changing our behavior, this understanding that it's important as we follow Christ that it's impossible to do so without being obedient to the Spirit. And the Spirit is going to lead us into all truth. We're going to discover next week as we, as we continue to walk in this, it's the Spirit of God that reveals the truth about God to each believer. So there's this there seems to be this focus on the miraculous today when Paul's ministry was focused on, on Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not in the miraculous, but in the transformation of the soul, the way we think and what we do. So Paul's emphasis was on transformation and avoiding worldly thinking, walking in the Spirit and submitting our ways to God. That's, that's his whole ministry. Every epistle, Romans, Hebrews, all of the above, focus 
on our submitting our ways to the ways of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, and I'm going to read through 19, when it talks about being saved and walking in the Spirit and, and, and not being justified by the law, which is different than keeping the commandments. Well, shall we say then, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And the answer is obviously, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? I did a series in a message called Dead, Dead, Dead that everybody seems to forget. We, we're dead to the old man and we're dead to sin and alive to God. Or do you not know that as many of us that were baptized into Christ, Jesus was baptized into us this. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. All those are in past tense. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is coming alive. There's this struggle to make sure that you stay in a position where you're alive to God and you're dead to the flesh. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, Excuse me, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members in instruments of unrighteousness or sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And so our focus then, instead of focusing on sin or that sin nature or the things that, 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 that caused us to bear that fruit, then we should think on the things that will cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness. But God be thanked that through you, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness, being set apart, doing the work of the ministry, which is impossible without the Spirit of God. And so I just want, want us to understand that, that Jesus came to set us free, he came to set us free from the power of sin and the power of death. He came to set us free from sin and death. Um, he came to justify us, which is different 
than not keeping the commandments. Let me just say this. Jesus didn't set us free from keeping the commandments. You're not free not to keep the commandments. It's just, it's not, it's not what justifies you. It's not what redeems you. You're not redeemed by that thing anymore. You're redeemed by Jesus. He set you free from sin and death. And the commandments are life and godliness and righteousness. We are depressed toward righteousness. We're not free from the commandments. So what is freedom in Christ? What did Christ really set us free from? In uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, now this is John, I'm sorry, John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Through His death on the cross, Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. We just read that. Freedom in Christ is a, is a grace that we cannot comprehend that includes freedom from so many things which we experience here and now in, in our day-to-day life. So let's look, let's look at six things that he freed us from. First thing he freed us from, he, he gave us freedom to not commit sin. You're free not to commit sin any longer. To commit sin is to continuously do something you know is against God's will and His laws. It is when you are tempted by the lusts and desires that dwell in you and you consciously agree to act upon those temptations. That's sin. And so to sin or to commit sin is to do what we know beforehand to be against God's Word and God's will. In John Chapter 8, verse 31 through 36, it says, It becomes perfectly clear that we've, we, we uh, have full liberty to choose not to give in when we are tempted to sin. It says, it says it like this, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we were made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. And that's what true freedom really is. It's, it's the knowledge that you've been freed to not commit sin. You don't have to. You can call on the Holy Spirit. You can move the Holy Spirit. Does that mean you won't? Probably not. But it means that we have been given the power not to commit sin, the freedom not to commit sin. It's our choice. We choose. When we know what to do and we don't do it, the Bible says that's sin to you and me. So the first thing is we've been set free to not commit sin. We've also been set free from the power of Satan. We have freedom from being harassed by Satan, even though it was, it was uh, this sifting came to Peter, even though the sifting came to Peter, Jesus, Jesus walked him through. Jesus was, was uh, tempted by Satan in the wilderness, but, but he had the power to overcome Satan. We don't have to listen any longer to his lies. We, we can tell the difference between the lie and the truth. It, it can help us and his accusations and all the kinds of things that he comes at and we're free to resist him and crush him under our feet. You're free to do that. You have freedom from Satan's power over you. When, when he tries to get us to bend a ear to him, we can tell him, no, 
I was bought with a price. I'm, I'm Christ, and I will have nothing to do with you. Glory to God. That is what freedom in Christ is. It's freedom from the power of Satan over us. We can resist the devil, and the Bible says he'll flee. The third thing that we are set free from is we are set free. We've been given freedom to respect each other's conscience. Now, this is a tough one for me. This is a tough one for everybody that's in a denomination because denominations were made because of this very idea. We, we have the freedom to let others be free. We don't have to demand that they behave a certain way or uh, uh, we don't have to put demands on how people should be or what, what they should do. Each individual has the freedom to follow their own conscience and to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit in their own life. In other words, we aren't the Holy Spirit for other people. I might, in all good conscience, be able to do something that isn't freedom to, to another person, or another person might be able to do it. Let me give you an example of that. When, when, when Paul says, you know, if you, if you go here and you eat this or you drink that, and uh, you're free to do that, but if they say something about it, stop. You know, if it offends them, then quit. You might be free to do something that they're not free to do. And, 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 and the hard part about this is that we have this expectation that people ought to be a certain way if they know Christ, or they have this certain belief system if they really know God. So there's a lot of things that go in this that can be a ditch on both sides of the road. For example, let me give you an example real quickly. You know, we're, 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 if we see our brother in sin, then we are to take two people, go to them, you know, talk to them about the sin we see them in. If they refuse, if, you know, if they refuse to listen, you know, you go again and, you know, you, you, you go, you know, you take more and then you, you know, this is Matthew 18, and you go and you confront them. If they don't, if they don't, if they don't respond, then you, you don't even eat with them. So it's interesting to me, this, this, this balance of having to follow the Holy Spirit prompting in each situation because it may not even be revealed that, that, that there's a sin in somebody's life. It's so difficult in this culture where we, we think everybody matters to God. And God goes, you know, he, he leaves the 99 and goes gets the one. And, and all these kinds of things, when, when, when we have to take the whole of Scripture into account, and then we have to follow the Holy Spirit as we move. <coughs> Excuse me. Woo. Excuse me. We have to follow the Holy Spirit as we move forward because we, we, we don't know exactly what to do and when to do it because we don't know what the Holy Spirit is dealing with each individual about at that particular moment. So we've been free to, to respect each other's conscience and each other's belief system. You know, I had... I had, you know, somebody uh, the other day, and they just said, you know, God, God doesn't judge us for sin anymore. And I was like, well, you know, I understand what you're saying. You know, it won't be held against us in, in, when we get into the kingdom. You know, the only thing that will, you know, it'll be burned up because of the cross. But ask, ask Ananias and Sapphira if God judges sin. 
I mean, there are places in Scripture where, you know, God can be God and we might not understand why he did what he did or be able to come up with this, this, this systematic approach of how to explain God. But, the, but what Paul was saying when he was talking about this struggle is that struggle is to, to follow the Holy Spirit. In other words, these are truths about God. This is what God has revealed to you, but he may not have revealed that to, to, to every Christian believer at this point. Now, here's, here's another ditch. That you get prideful in your walk with Christ and you say, as soon as they mature, as soon as they go deeper into God, they'll come up with the same revelation that I've come up with. That's a ditch. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to be caught trying to take the speck out of my brother's eye when I got a log in my own. So, so the ditch, there's this place of humility that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we as we deal with other people as believers in their walk with Christ. And so there's a freedom to respect each other's conscience, and that gives you unilateral ability to have mercy and grace on other denominations who don't believe what you believe. So number one is freedom not commit sin. Number two is freedom from Satan. Number three is freedom to respect each other's conscience. And number four is freedom to change. We've been free to change. We don't have to remain the same person we start out as. We, we've been given freedom to change. God has given us each a personality with gifts and talents, but within what he has given us, we find our limits. That, we, that what we do is often contaminated by seeking honor and pride and other sins. But we can become completely free from all of that stuff. Become free all that stuff. We're, we're progressing on the way of life. We, uh, we find ourselves doing things and having full freedom in the Spirit to overcome our works and, and be purified in our life. We can be purified in our living so that with the personalities that God's created us with, we can be a blessing, a help, a joy, a strength to others. How many of you know that sometimes your personality strengths are also your weaknesses? Same is true for me. That his glorious freedom, freedom from the constraints of sin, wouldn't dominate our personalities, that we would be free to be transformed into God's image. So we're free to change. Number five, we're free to make our own choices. We have a free will. God, for the most part, gives us a free will. But that, you know, again, I mean, there, there's some things that God does sometimes that you go, I didn't seem like free will. So you just can't, all these things are true, but you just can't put God in a box. We have full freedom to make our own choices. But we are still responsible for the outcome of those choices. When we choose according to our own free will, time after time we have the opportunity to see where our choices lead us and, and how things turn out. We get a chance to see how our good or bad decisions or our good or bad choices, uh, how they affected us. In this way, we, we learn lessons from the previous experiences and learn to make better and better choices as time goes by. In this way, God trains us and makes us these unique individuals that have, that have a different kind of image of God. 
And that's what true freedom really is. It's freedom to make our own choices to be transformed into the image of God. And then we also, number six, have the freedom for for goodness. You know, we can be this image bearer of God and bring goodness to all situations. We're free to do as much good as we want. Sin is what hindered us, hinders us from our ability to do good to others. When we aren't a slave to our impatience, our temper, our envy, etc., we can bless and be good without limit. If we're following the Holy Spirit, we can be good without limit. God is incredibly good to give us so much freedom in Christ. If we use it the right way, we'll come to Him, and, and, and then when we come to people, we'll come with peace will come with joy, will come with righteousness, and will come with that in everything we do. Galatians 5, 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom by which Christ Jesus has made you free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In Thessalonians, it says, it says uh, he's writing to Paul and Cyrus, uh, Sylvanus, I'm sorry, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and, and Lord Jesus, he says grace to you. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men you proved to be among you for, for we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and, and, and the region. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, there is wrath coming. There's a lot of people that says that Jesus took the, you know, the wrath of God, and, and he did for those who believe. But the wrath is still here. The wrath is still coming. So the way to victory and struggle, the way to victory and struggle is desiring, depending, and dispensing God's power in your life. Salvation comes through power. What does that look like? It's transforming, it's redeeming, and it's freeing. What is the purpose of the power? The purpose of his power in your life is victory. He wants you to have victory. So what's the fruit of his power working in your life? It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's patience, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, and it's self-control. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, it says, And when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. This is not just words. Just not just, it's not just about, about doing, doing 
this without the Spirit. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message was not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I'm telling you, the focus of Paul is not the, the, you know, the miraculous, and it's not all these, it's not all these uh, uh, man-made ideas. It's the struggle to follow the Holy Spirit's work in your life, to, to, to manifest the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit as you go and bring goodwill to men. Be a peacemaker. Do the things that the Lord does, and it's impossible to do if our focus gets on the wrong thing. If our ideology about Jesus, if our, if our box is too small and too tight about how God is going to not only work with us, but works with other people. We've been set free. We've been set free from sin and from death. Father, help us today to understand that it is through your power, it is through your Holy Spirit who resides in us, who makes his temple here, that we are in conversation with, that we're listening to, and that we're being obedient to, that they're walking with it. We're not getting out in the flesh. And we certainly aren't depending on what we know. Like Paul. Paul said, I count this rubbish what I know. I know more than you all, but I count it rubbish unless I walk with the Holy Spirit. Unless I carry this out. I understand that this is the Word of God. This is the way of God. But I carry it out only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I struggle with life and, and, and the fallen nature of the world and with people. I struggle with the Holy Spirit to make sure I respond in a way that will bring kingdom and life. Father, help me focus on the things that you wrote this book for. And that is so that I'd be transformed into the image of Jesus. So that as, as I am, it'll be just like he is. Help me. Lord, I need you more than ever. I return to my first love. I thank you for that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for watching today. We thank you for your faithfulness and giving. We are advancing in our building project. And uh, it looks like by the by summer, midsummer at least, we should be ready to go and kicking off and and it'll be probably about the end of October, so you guys will be joining us again back. Hopefully that'll be when everybody is, uh, feels comfortable about gathering again. And so until then, until next week, we say we love you, and we thank you for tuning in. God bless you. Have a great day. <laughs>